This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you that are listening for the first time. We're going to have another break in the EQ series. I just think it's important to do it. And I have another guest today for Talking Shop. Today, I have with me the one, the only, Shanae Chapman, also known as the Nerdy Diva, and she will spend some time talking about that as we go forward. Thank you for joining me on today, Shanae, for this Talking Shop session. And as always, I like to have people introduce themselves. I tell you who's here, but we'll let her talk about herself. So we're going to start off there on today. Uh, so Shanae, tell us of who you are. And as uh, one of my peers in the industry likes to say all the time, tell everybody why they should care. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I've been following your work for years. Very big fan and definitely honored to be on the show today. Uh, yes, I am a senior UX researcher and designer. I also am an entrepreneur. So Nerdy Diva is my business. And within Nerdy Diva, I share information about inclusive research and design in the UX space. Uh, also, uh, sharing that information via workshops and speaking engagements and podcasts like this one, uh, really trying to change the culture and help us be yes. more aware and intentional about ethics and about diversity and inclusion. We're, when we are building products that are serving people globally across the world. So that's something I'm very passionate about. Also love sharing that uh, women, black women, people of color, LGBT folks, belong in technology, belong in UX, belong in the spaces where decisions are being made. And part of uh, the work I do at Nerdy Diva is sharing about UX careers to people who are underrepresented and making sure that they have information about how to uh, level up in their careers and how to be successful and know that they are not alone and that they have resources and support here for them. And lastly, angel investing, so important for underrepresented founders. So black people, people of color, women, LGBT folks often don't get a lot of funding for their big ideas and their projects that they are working on. And a lot of these projects have like social innovation, social impact, uh, influences as well. And that's something that, you know, we need to hear more about um, those opportunities and provide more access and more capital. So that's something that I also am uh, partnering with other organizations on to help uh, level up the playing field in that area as well. So, yeah. That, that is fantastic. And I mean, as you were giving that spiel, it just made me think again how I often talk about how that UX isn't just about the work. You just mentioned several things that it's UX, but it's not the work, but it's related. And if people are not aware and if people are not really taking a, a genuine interest 
and deliberately engaging, then that arena, it it becomes a blind spot. Definitely. For for many people. I want to come back in a little bit and talk about inclusive design. I know it's a a passion point for you, and I want to hear more about that. And I think the listeners do too. Before we get there though, let's get into a little bit more of Shanae's story. Cause it's one thing I like to have people talk about uh, it, it, cause the, the stories differ and, and it's funny because people just get into UX today cause they just sit there and they, they have a little epiphany and they, Oh, I think I want to get into UX and then they do. That's not always the case for everybody. Share with the listeners today. How did you get into UX? Shanae? Well, what was the thing, the light bulb moment for you? What, what lit your fire? things of that nature. Yeah, you know, I um, have always been someone who um, had multitude of interests and um, found uh, psychology interesting, found communication interesting. Uh, I started my um, career uh, on more of the, the communication and marketing side because that's what I went to college for. My uh, bachelor's degree is in communication and I took design courses as electives and that's how I learned about design and the ability to create messages and get it out into the world via graphic design via web design and I was hooked I was like oh this is it (laughs) this is where the party at and you know and it was like it's fun it's exciting and you get to uh, share knowledge with people all across the world and that fascinates me uh, to this day and also Mm -hmm. being someone who just loves to organize and loves to understand how things work, really um, understanding systems and how they can uh, be utilized and be uh, you know, more uh, cohesive and how to share that information out to people in a way that is relevant and makes yes. sense to them. So that, that really is um, how I came into the field via understanding communication, psychology, taking design courses as a college student. And then, um, you know, I started, I was doing the UX work before I knew the terminology. I was interviewing (laughs) stakeholders. I was identifying personas. I was um, using that information to make updates to websites. And I understood how to do some of this work, but I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't understand Mm -hmm. why I was doing it, so to speak. So um, I went to grad school in Boston. I went to Northeastern University. I did a uh, master's in informatics. And as part of that degree, I actually took usability courses. So now I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand the terminology (laughs) and what heuristics are and what these evaluations mean. And it's like, okay, so it's like being the person who was like um, creating and now having the vocabulary and the awareness to describe why I was creating it and what the purpose was. And that's something that just took my career to another level. So that was something where I was like, okay, this is definitely where I want to be in this intersection between understanding people and technology and how do we uh, bring this together in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's something. And I hear a lot of discovery mode. Yeah. Planting seeds. Yes. and, And so important. Uh, because you didn't enter blindly. Mm. You, you knew what you were getting yourself into, which is something I talk about a lot. You, and, and it was definitely a passion In some point. ways, yes. In some ways, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, enough to say, I want to do that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely studied and um, also I was part of uh, UXPA Boston when I was in uh, grad school. Okay. Yeah. So that was a, a big resource for me as well. So I could actually talk to people who were in the field and listen to their case studies and understand how they were applying UX methods and what was working well for them and what wasn't. And so I, I would just ask questions like, hey, so what should I know? What should I study? And I would get different answers from different people. Some people would say study design patterns. <laughs> Make sure you understand how to do contextual interviewing, which was great because I learned a little bit from every person that I talked to. So yes. I think definitely building those relationships and networks has been crucial to me uh, in my career as well. That's fantastic. And, and nice building blocks. You actually even covered one of the other questions I had here because when people come into the discipline, uh, we talked even before we started recording today, we talked about how people have, they, they come into the discipline and we have to have an understanding of how it is we're going to learn and build our acumen. And we need to understand that it is a lifelong learning commitment there there's so many different things that will happen absolutely to to help build us up and help us become who we are as and opposed, it never ends you're right. always doing yes. it it's yes, yes. you know the whole you know you can learn us and i've heard as little as nine days oh my god i've heard six i've heard six weeks i've heard six months i've heard nine months and then make 170000 a year. Ridiculous. You know, like, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Folks, no. You, you can't. We say it all the time. You can't. <laughs> it is a lifelong learning commitment. That's right. You never arrive, um, which is why I, there was somebody who posted something to remind it of, of this post on LinkedIn. Someone had said, every day, I want to improve by 1%. And, and I'm thinking, yeah. that sound, it sounds cute, but if you if you increase by 1% or improve by 1% every day, to me, it still had an air of, of uh, like the end of a journey. Uh, I just want to learn every day, throw away the percentage, learn, learn. I think it, it just <laughs> depends on the person. Some people I have found really, um, are attached to metrics. They so are. They are. if that's the motivation <laughs> for that person, then you go ahead. I, look, I salute you. But I agree. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily yeah. need the, the metrics. I am definitely more of like a qualitative researcher as well. Like I really want to understand the motivations and the yes. behavior and the outcomes. So like there, it takes all types and that's what makes this world so interesting and um, unpredictable. But just as long as you are continuing to learn, you, you go ahead. You that's true. say whatever you need to say, just keep doing it. That's true. I, I, I will settle there too. <laughs> just keep getting better. Yes, I, I do it. think that, and, and this is me and my my uh, steadfastness maybe on this one, but eventually you'll learn. You'll you'll just keep growing, mm-hmm. and and the one percent won't be a conscious a thing that you're opting into. You just I just want to get better. What can That's I do? Yeah. What can I do today? What yeah. what do I? And, and I'd even say go as far as identifying deliberate places of growth. Like for me, something like I've never had an opportunity to do UX with regard to augmented reality. Mm. I've never, I've never done that. That is interesting. I would like to understand that as well. Yeah. yeah. I've never done VR. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've done some, I've been fortunate enough to have done some hardware related work where some of my background does not, it, it, it it's not all digital. It is mm-hmm. mostly digital, it's predominantly digital, but I've mm-hmm. been able to work on some hardware 
as yeah. well too. So I think that those kind of things, especially when we understand the pervasiveness of UX, that mm-hmm. it does extend to a whole lot of arenas that people don't don't um, stereotypically consider, such as IVRs. And I, I know I know people who that's all they do is UX for IVRs. They they work with the interactive voice response system. Yeah, God yeah, knows they need it. Oh, they need it badly. And that um that's really interesting to me because that touches on like natural language yes. processing as well. Yes. And someone who just like loves understanding why language matters and the uh the impact of language. I think it's really interesting when we start trying to build systems to convey emotion via yes. language as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I also know somebody else. I just thought of someone else who's, who's doing UX with regard to AI. Mm, Man, what yeah. a world. I haven't, yeah. I haven't had the, the privilege of doing that yet. So it's, it's you, it's a big world. It's Very a really, big. really, really yeah. big world and, and invite more people to it. Uh, but remember when you grow, it's uh, don't put a time limit on it. It's because you're gonna you're gonna be disappointed if you do, because <laughs> you're always gonna discover something else to learn. And and the journey's fun. The learning journey it is, is fun. really fun, and it it allows you to to grow and expand and evolve yes. over time in your career. So I've been um, lately working in developer experience and mm-hmm. with APIs and um, understanding more about like cybersecurity and cloud services understanding personas of very technical people, but who are building systems for general business users. So they have these language gaps in between and being able to understand how to communicate between, okay, your API developer has this tool. How do you actually, as someone who is on the uh, business analyst team, how do you actually use these APIs for your reports and for your systems and to get things done that interest you and matter to you? And how do you help each other um, grow this system so that it meets the user's needs? And that's that's really uh, another space where I didn't right. know about <laughs> 10 years ago. I wow. wasn't in the API space, you know? Yeah. So, um, but being in it uh, now, it's really interesting to see it's still that found foundational bedrock principles of understanding user-centered design and applying that process. Yes. It will take you to any of these other uh, experiences and you can grow it and you can evolve it and you can dissect it and make better experiences based upon what you already know. Yes, dynamite, dynamite, dynamite. This leads me to my next question. Uh, and this is another one of those, uh, we'll go back into the, the memories for this one. What's your fondest memory as a UX professional thus far? Oh man, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one. Um, let's see. I, I had the privilege to work on MATLAB's first iteration of their, their cloud services. So, um, MATLAB is an IDE for scientists and engineers who are coding different types of systems, uh, and they wanted to have the ability to use this IDE on the desktop um, and had different systems from Linux, Mac, Windows. Whoa. But also, yeah, so 
experience design. So you're talking about different experiences, command line interfaces. So that was my first opportunity wow. to work with how do you create an experience when you don't have a UI, when you just have the command line mm-hmm. and you are sending messages to someone that yes, you are successful or no, you are not successful. And here's an error message to help you get unstuck. So um, being able to understand holistically how a product family can work together and being able to work across different teams in Boston and Cambridge, UK, and being able to communicate effectively in order to get things done. So it's a seamless experience for the end user. That has been really one of the the best projects I have been on. um, And I helped uh, launch that first iteration of that product. So it was was a really exciting experience. Dynamite, dynamite. And it makes me think about too, the intrinsic benefits, the intrinsic factors of working with UX. They have to give you a paycheck. What, <laughs> yeah. what, that, that's the extrinsic stuff. What Those joys, those little wins, those things that help us to feel better about what we do and what we contribute. That's just something I always like to always remind people to keep that on their radar. Always be focused on the intrinsic benefits because uh, that's where the greatest joys will be because there's a lot of challenges oh, in yeah. UX and intrinsic Intrinsic benefits really put a lot of wind in our our sails, I found. Yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Every time I'm on a product, I think about what can I get out of this for my career? What, yeah. How can this be a portfolio sample for my career? Even if I'm having a challenging, challenging time working with the stakeholders or even if for some reason the product does not get launched, I still have learned something from that experience. Yes. Yes. I still have a story. I still have a case study, a testimony. I still have something that I can share with people about how I have grown during this process. So thinking about how does this help me get to having more knowledge, more understanding, what do I want to learn? What do I want to do that I haven't done before? Are there methods I want to try that I haven't done before? Can I set up uh, like a design studio session remotely? Can I set up ways to communicate with different teams and, uh, do like a core sort to understand information architecture? Like, are there things that I can do? I haven't done previously that's going to help me grow my career. Yes. Yes. Now we're going to look at another, I'm going down the list as you can see here, be jumping around a little bit, but uh, a point of contrast, the best decision you ever made as a UXer. So we're getting into your own UX story here, I guess. Oh, okay. Best decision. Uh, You know what? I think, It definitely was when I transitioned from being more on the IT side. Uh, I worked at IBM and I was a UI testing specialist. That's that's what I came in as. And I was at the end of the software development cycle. So when all the changes had been made, I would go in, create uh, end user test cases, and I would do regression testing and functional testing to understand if anything broke and if anything broke, tell people what it was before it was launched into production to the live environment. Mm. And I would find things naturally. I would find things and I was growing my understanding of user experience. And I was like, well, there's so much here that 
needs to be improved. Like we have these different um, components and one piece of it was updated, but the whole workflow has not been changed. So I had so many ideas about how the whole system could be redesigned um, and wanted to get more involved in that space and realize that I'm at the, the wrong point in the cycle. I need to be in the beginning of the cycle <laughs> where people are more open <laughs> and more yeah. receptive to doing discovery research, to creating concepts and trying out new ideas. At the end of the cycle where people are testing and ready to get it out the door, they're like, oh, that's cute, but we don't have time for that. Put yeah. that on the backlog. We don't have time. <laughs> so like, okay, I'm not where I should be. Right. And um, I had not um, had a full-time UX position at that point, mm. but I had been learning. I had been doing my own self-study. I've been going to USPA Boston events. I've been working on hackathons uh, as a UX researcher and designer at wow, IBM. Nice, nice. And freelancing, I was doing projects for nonprofits and uh, for small businesses. So I, I created uh, ways to get more experience for myself to build up a portfolio that led me to being able to uh, take an opportunity as a UX contractor for a company uh, called Kronos. And that was my first official UX job. That was a contract position. Right. I didn't know what's going to happen after three months. <laughs> but I said, I know that this is where I need to be. I need to be on this side of the software development process. And I believe that this is going to be an opportunity to launch me to great, greater things in my career. And lo and behold, three months turned into six months, got a renewal on the contract. And then because I had that experience, it launched me to be able to go to uh, work at a place that worked on MATLAB and products that were in this technical developer experience. And that was the starting point for me really transitioning into a full-time UX career. That's amazing. And it, that's some phenomenal stuff that people need to hear because you hear so many. I know you spend a lot of time talking to people that are up and coming in the discipline. I do the same. And you and you just or you just encounter people that are all talking about their challenges at, at those initial times. And then here's a lesson, folks, for you, for you to take away of what Shanae did. Sometimes you have to create opportunities for yourself. That's right. But with, with, that's the, right. with the work that you do. Uh, when I, I got started the same way, wasn't even focused on it. I just happened to be connected with a nonprofit mm -hmm. that needed web that needed web design work done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was doing things like you did. I didn't know terminology. There was it wasn't called UX in 1995, <laughs> but I was doing what I later came to know as information architecture. I was That's working right. on nomenclatures. I was working on taxonomies. I was doing guerrilla testing. I didn't know it was called guerrilla testing. I just wanted to make sure that things worked. So, exactly. I went, so I went yeah. out and I tested it. So <laughs> I was right. doing things that we now associate with UX, mm -hmm. but sometimes things fall in your lap. Sometimes you just happen to be right place, right time. I happen to be right place, right time. I yeah. didn't plan that. And that's one of the challenges I think today, one of the major contrasts that a lot of people who got into UX earlier on, it just sort of fell in our lap or some kind of opportunity came up and we didn't know that it was going to become what it became. Yeah. Whereas today, people sort of have a an idea of where things can go, and 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 their their journey is, is quite different than a lot of ours. But they can still do some of the things that we did, and 
in trying to make those opportunities for yourself and doing a lot of the groundwork. Oh yeah. And trying to connect. That's the big one that I'm hearing. That's it. So what connecting with people at your local in your local UXPAs or your mm-hmm. local associations, your local meetup groups. Some of the meetup groups that some of us like our UX chit chat hour. We have a lot of newbies that come in mm-hmm. now to our UX chit chat hour and they just get some downloads. And those are like I said, I think it was last week, pieces. Everything that you learn when you're building yourself from UX is a piece. It's that and and the mountain never finishes forming. It just you just keep adding pieces to it. Uh, experiences from your learning, experiences from things that, that worked and didn't work and the work that you do, everything's a piece and you just keep putting that thing together. And that's why it takes a certain type of individual to be in this field. Yes. You have to love learning. You have to crave <laughs> learning. You have to seek it. You have to be proactive. You have to be the person who's like, I think this is interesting. I am going to go out and learn more about this and bring it back to my team and share it with my organization. You have to be that type of individual to really excel in this field. And I think there's some people who see UX as a field where, oh, you get to have this, uh, this title and you get to be able to be the the go-to person. It's like, that's the benefit of you doing the work of you taking the time of crafting your practice and devoting to that. And um, you should not do that work just for that, um, that external uh, benefit of praise and, uh, you know, reward. You should (laughs) do it because you care about it. You found it interesting. And if you don't have that, that sense that you want to, be curious and continue to learn throughout your career, you're not going to enjoy your experience in U.S., quite frankly, because it changes all the time. Yes. You've got to be able to grow with those changes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. We're going we're gonna to cover two more things before we wrap up today. One of them has to do with, um, I know we, we mentioned this earlier, so we're coming back to it now, um, inclusive design. You mentioned this as being a huge yes. passion point for you. Mm-hmm. Um, break down for us again for the listeners what exactly you're addressing with inclusive design, what kinds mm-hmm. of things that you're you're getting into today. Go ahead. Here, here's your platform. Go ahead and, and, and uh, yeah. run with it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, inclusive design to me is being intentional about the language that is used in the platforms that are created and, and things like the documentation as well and also representation. Are we representing diverse voices, diverse perspectives? Uh, And then for uh, UX specifically, when we are doing research, when we are doing design work, are we including uh, people who come from different backgrounds and have different ways of seeing the world to make sure that we are understanding um, how they would use our products and services? And if there's any gaps that we have not uncovered, Uh, Also for me, inclusive design is being intentional about accessibility. Is this going to work for someone who may have a um, uh, impairment with color, perceiving color, for example, or may have um, an impairment where they're not able to see the UI? And how are we able to make sure that this is experienced that they also can 
navigate successfully mm-hmm. and that they can accomplish their goals as well. So I think we um, really have to be more uh, intentional and aware that we are building products and services and applications for people from different walks of life and really think about that and advocate for these people and bring them into the process. I love the saying design with people, not for people. So bring them into the process so that we are indeed meeting their expectations. Nice, nice, nice. Now I'm going to jump over a different topic here, and this is going to be where we're probably going to wrap up today on this topic alone. Um, I usually ask the question, what advice do you have for up and comers in the discipline? But one of the things that we, we did talk about, we've, we've already talked about building of the acumen. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked about the type of personality that a person has. They have two, two topics that are near and dear to my heart. But when it comes to advice for up and comers in the discipline, we talked before the recording started about job seeking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, yes. let, let, let's wrap up there today. What are you seeing with job seeking? What types of trends? What type of tips do you have? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's messy out there, just to be <laughs> honest. It's, it's a mess. Yeah, yeah. But, but you can navigate it and you can be successful, but you also have to have your antennas up. So being aware that um, there are many companies who um, want UX but don't really understand what UX is. Mm -hmm. So you have to also make sure that you are asking questions of the interviewers about their UX maturity, asking them questions about how does UX function with the rest of the business, with product management, with engineering, how is UX um, seeing return on um, the investments of their time and resources is there a budget for UX research? <laughs> it's amazing. There's some places they don't have a budget for UX research. It's like, okay. So understanding what um, the company believes UX is and it's those expectations um, and not just reading what's on the job description. So really being prepared to ask those types of questions. Also be aware of possible unethical interviewing. So there are definitely organizations mm-hmm that are asking people to do actual UX work, design a product that they actually have at their company, research something related to their products at their companies. Hey, like if you want to set up a consulting agreement and have a two week short term agreement, that's one thing, but it is unethical to have someone who is interviewing for your company, um, as a requirement of that process for them to do work for your products. So that is something that I think a lot of people need to make sure that they are aware of. And when you hear that, say, Hey, you know, that is something um, that it's not uh, typical and it's not something that you need to do as you are job searching uh, for your role. You have a portfolio, you walk through your portfolio, you answer any questions that they have about that, but just make sure that you're not getting taken advantage of in this process Mm -hmm. as well. Yep. I've had some bad experiences (laughs) right there. Even, even when they are not trying to get you to do work, I have personally, um, my, my, my take on it is that design exercises are not a really good way 
to evaluate talent. Oh no. Uh, no. They are one of the most, they're, they're very common, but they're also, I mean, and there's way, I, I got to say this too. There's ways to do something that's similar to get what you're trying to get or learn what you're trying to learn about a candidate. Uh, I, I had an interview once where someone, they just got into, it wasn't like a, a real exercise. It was just like a faux kind of how would we communicate? What would we do here? And we saw, it was almost like we were shooting a movie and we kept saying, okay, cut. And then we would dialogue about something and then action and we get back into it. And that that was actually sort of smart because it was a design exercise that wasn't a design exercise. They were just trying to get an idea of how I communicated the types of questions I might ask or things of that nature. And it wasn't a bad experience. Did you know that in advance? Did they tell you that no. this is how it's going to... Right. So no, that's kind of like iffy. <laughs> like, you guys on the spot. <laughs> you but, know. But it, um, I did cringe when I heard design exercise mm-hmm. because of what I know about design exercises and how I, I've never really seen one that worked ever. And, and another time I did one, they had me do an exercise... They gave, I had all of five minutes to digest what was going on and then the next 25 minutes to put something together. It's totally unrealistic. And that's exactly what I was about to say. It is so unrealistic. You're trying to judge whether or not a person, whether or not you want to hire a person based Mm -hmm. on circumstances, scenarios that are completely inappropriate and inaccurate. How can you make an accurate judgment based on an inaccurate exercise. Yeah. And, and, and then the people who were doing it called themselves UXers. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's an ethical problem. Uh, it in, really in my is. Book. And, and I, I would hope that people would stop doing that. Uh, I also got to say this comes to mind. So I'm going to throw this out there and I like ruffling feathers. So here we go again. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I don't really like it. I just, I'm just willing to do it. I, I just say that <laughs> to make a joke out of it. But, but, People who have folks do design exercises, my evaluation of the many people I've seen that do it, they have people to do do design exercises because they don't know how to evaluate talent. That's it. That's absolutely it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. And some some kind of way they've decided it's almost like they all went to a summit and made this decision and they all went back to their employers. I don't know how to evaluate talent, so let's do this. It's a bad thing to do. It doesn't really give you what you need. You should be able to talk to people, draw out the honesty in them the best way you can. Ask questions, interview. Yes. Yeah. And then <laughs> judge people based on that. But but these faux exercises, even portfolio evaluation. I'm about to do a series mm-hmm. called What's the Problem with Portfolios? Because mm-hmm. they really yeah. didn't belong yeah. in UX. They mm-hmm. portfolios got brought into UX on a whim. Because people who were confused, confusing UX with UI thought that, okay, well, I, that UI person has a portfolio, so let me get a, a portfolio from this, from this UX person. And, that, and that's why everybody's pulling their hair out about portfolios because it's still dysfunctional. It's a, it's a dysfunctional mechanism when it comes to evaluating talent. Talk to people, yeah. find out, ask questions, find out mm-hmm. what they are, find out who they are, do your best at it. And, and that's the best you can do. But these design exercises, they're they're for the birds. They gotta go. Yeah, I, I will say I do like seeing because I've been on the other side where I've been on committees where we were hiring and bringing in UX talent as well. I do like seeing um, the portfolios as a way to 
have the person who's interviewing walk through their thought storytelling. Process. Yes, that's exactly. what I love. Exactly. I love, Show I actually, me a case study. Show yeah. me what was the problem. How did you uh, address the problem? How did you do your discovery research? Yeah. Who did you work with? Who did you go seek for more information? Tell me how you exactly achieve this outcome. Yeah. Tell me that. That's a, a matter of fact. It's funny, and some people might get a laugh out of this. I've been a hiring manager in the past when I was a manager at Bosch and I bring in people, they bring their portfolios, but I never told them. I told people later uh, when, we, when we came to know each other later on, mm-hmm. you know, I never really paid attention to your portfolio. I just wanted you to know that I wanted to see, I wanted to see your, your storytelling. I wanted to see, I wanted to see how well you interacted. I couldn't mm-hmm. care less about your portfolio. I really, I really couldn't for the same reasons I just mentioned earlier, because if anything, if the portfolio is too pretty, I I actually, I don't care. I really don't care about that now because UX people are not responsible for the presentation layer. So if it's really, really pretty, I'm going to look at the UX of your portfolio. But other than that, eh, I'm not really that concerned. I'm, I'm more concerned about how the person is going to, going to present themselves as we're dialoguing. That's what's most important. Yeah, if your your focus is in research and strategy and uh, interaction design, you're not doing the pretty pieces. You're trying to understand how this complex system works and you're trying to understand your users. There's not a lot to show for that. So being able to like tell the story and walk people through the beginning, middle and end. Yep. What's the problem? How did you and your team uh, address the problem? And what was your solution in achieving the um, the outcome that was a benefit for your users? So yep. that's, that's really the, the heart yep. of it. Walk through that. And I thought I should explain too, because somebody is going to be thinking, and I'm going to get an, uh, uh, an email, so I'm going to head the email off at the pass. Darren, why is it that you're more interested in that stuff? Because... When you start to do the work, guess what you're going to be doing? Interacting with people. That's it. <laughs> you're going to be telling stories. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to be explaining things. So I want to see how well you do that during the interview process. And you know, that that stems another um, concept of why people who come from different careers make good UX people. Yeah. I came from communications and from more of like a marketing background, but those skills are important when you are doing UX research and you are building connections and you are identifying your different stakeholders and doing a SWOT analysis and trying to understand, okay, like who are my competitors in this area? How can we understand what the needs of our users and uh, the needs of the company and the business is as well? Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's great for another reason. I'm really excited about people who transition into UX. Mm-hmm. I did an episode on it. Okay. And, and, and people, uh, you know, you, you're not going to just come into UX and then you're just solely reliant upon what you learn as you're coming into UX. I did a, a Medium post called... Have some lived experience. Do yes. something else for a while. You know? yes. <laughs> I did a post called, What Flavor Are You? Mm. and where what have you done before you come into UX even if you've never done this before Mm -hmm. uh, folks in the the audience if you've never done this before this exercise is worth it what were you before you were a UXer yeah list the things out 
and start to look at the skills and the different factors and principles and techniques and things that you did in all those other roles that you had because the chances are highly likely that many of the things that you did in that prior life, so to speak, are things that will benefit you on the UX side of things. It's not all about the the uh, wireframes. It's not all about the prototypes. It's not all about your you know, the different methods and techniques and things that we do. There are a lot of things. Sales. I was in sales before. Does that come into play with UX? You better Absolutely. believe it. You got to get that buy-in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Those stakeholders. Yes. <laughs> yes, buddy. <laughs> I was a customer support representative. Does that come in handy? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was I was a desktop support person, the, the person that came out to work on your PC. Does that come <laughs> in handy? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are so many things that come into play and and what what comes from our past helps make each one of us also unique. Exactly. As a UX practitioner, it helps us to bring more value to the table today. So, yep, great points. Great points. We're, we're going to wrap up here, though. Uh, thank you again, Shanae, for or for taking the time to talk to me today. I love hearing people's stories. I think people need to hear the stories. There's a million of them out there, and we need to we need to get those stories out there to help people to sort of settle themselves as they enter into the discipline, as they are still settling in to the discipline as they're transitioning, as they're trying to get an understanding, get their bearings on, on how things are going on in this world of UX, whether it's new or not. It, it, it's good to hear everybody's stories and it helps us to to have those aha moments and it gives a little bit more stability and a bit more confidence and a bit more joy about what we do. As we That's go right. We, we need to have that uh, inspiration and that yes. hope. And um, some days are really, really tough. So yeah. it's good to know that we have this community and that there are always going to be, you know, people and resources that are going to be there to support you yes. and that you can contact when you get stuck. Like we all have UX mentors and we all have uh, been able to lean on those people. And, you know, this is um, one of the things I really do love about the UX community that we are, we are here for each other and just, yeah, yeah, just happy to be on the podcast and love what you're doing, Darren. Thank you. Thank you. And and I got to throw this in there too. I I, I never gave my full formal thank you. I'm in 97 things that every practitioner, UX practitioner should know because of this woman right here. Oh, She reached out. She so said, "You got to have Darren in this book," and, and right. they reached out, and, and, and it was a joy to be a part of that. I keep it right here so that I can always oh, show it to people when I'm doing different things. So I actually showed it to somebody on a meeting this morning. So it's uh, thank you for for that opportunity, thinking oh, of me and, and including yeah. me on that. I love giving back to the U.S. community, and the U.S. community is going to be what we make it, and that's why I think we work so hard to do what we do. So. Thank you again, Shanae. Reach out. Where can people connect with you, Shanae? Where can they find you? Where yeah, are you? you can find me on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, Shanae Chapman. Uh, also on Twitter uh, as Nerdy Diva Design. And my website is nerdydiva.com. Right. All right. So thank you again. Appreciate it. And, and, and thank you again. I'm happy that worked out. I'm so happy that you're able to get into the book and share your expertise as well. I mean, that's what that building relationships is yeah. all about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
But thanks everybody for taking the time to join us on today. Uh, we appreciate you as always. Connect with Shanae out there in the resources she just gave you. Uh, but that's it, folks. That's all the time we have for today. So until next time, this is the host of the World of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.